What's up, everybody? Ryan Drosky here, episode 268 of Top Rope Nation. Nothing really going on in the world of wrestling over the last 48 hours. Not a whole lot on the agenda tonight, Kyle Ross. How you doing? I do not work with children. You don't work with children? No. You, I'm like yeah, CM Punk. I'm an adult, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. exactly. <laughs> you have more respect for Justin and I, is what you're saying? No chair throwing. No kicking down <laughs> doors here, man. Just takes. Well, there was that one time you were chomping on a cupcake on the pod, and you got a little feisty with us. I was? Sometime, sometime in the middle of 2007. No, I'm just bullshitting with you. Oh. <laughs> Guys, yeah, we're going to get into they all They couldn't run a target. <laughs> oh, my God. This Ryan Drosty, he could not mix a podcast to save his life. Oh, my Takes God. Takes advice from nobody Oh my yeah. god, this pretzel is fucking stale. Jesus. <laughs> Guys, we're going to talk about everything. Laugh. Oh my god! <laughs> there is, I mean, all day today, I've been hearing different things. I'm going to get into everything that I've heard from a few people, and if anything breaks during the course of this podcast, of course, we'll talk to all of you about it as well. You got any comments, put them in the chat. You got any questions, put them in the chat. We'll try to get to all of them. Uh, I attended AEW All Out this past weekend in Chicago with a few oh, good friends. Did. I'm going to talk about, yes, the live experience of attending it at the Now Arena. We're going to very briefly talk about what happened on the show, but I, I imagine a lot of the discussion for this episode is going to be about the aftermath, of course, because it's what everybody is talking about, Kyle. And uh, it is. I mean, I'm pretty fired up to get through this because we... You know, this is this is gonna be a hot show, I think. I feel like some some of our agenda might shift during the course of the show. We'll see what happens. Mm. But as we go, I do want to, you know, before we get to all this, throw a shout out as always to our fantastic patrons that you see scrolling across the bottom of the screen right now. Uh, we're really, really close to hitting our goal, so I can release that unheard Bobby the Brain Heenan interview. Uh, but we have had some new people join the Patreon very recently, Mr. Kyle Ross. In fact, good friend of, of Frank's, Justin Girardi, just joined this past weekend. I want to give a big shout out to Justin for joining up. Ray, who previously had been a patron before, he rejoined. Mm. And I think I mentioned last week, Matthew had joined up at the Hall of Fame tier. So appreciate all of you coming along for the ride. If you are a patron... We have our suggestions going up right now for our September Top Rope Nation Classic show. You can nominate a classic event from September for our for ourselves to discuss. As always, that is our monthly bonus show for patrons. And so that should be a lot of fun. If you're a $10 plus tier patron, you can nominate for the poll. $5 and up, everyone gets to hear it. Uh, and I think, Kyle, I don't know if you agree, but I think that is probably the number one reason people join Patreon, closely followed by Top Rope Nation Extra. And tell us about the one that you just did, which we just released. Yeah, I didn't even know it uh, hit the airwaves. I thought we were waiting a little bit, but uh, it was some, uh, who, Frank, 
texted me or messaged on the Facebook board said, oh, just get and listen to this. I said, oh, I didn't know you could. But yeah, uh, Rick Skelton, who is a patron, uh, joined me to discuss the history of the Intercontinental Championship. Why would we do such a thing, you ask? Well, the Intercontinental title came into existence on September 1st, 1979, at least according to WWE lore. And we uh, did a Mount Rushmore gimmick. I know Chad Repack has some very strong feelings on the concept of a Mount Rushmore gimmick, but we did one and uh, named our t- narrowed it down, each of us, to our top four Intercontinental Champions. But we went through a lot more than just four guys. Uh, we went through quite a few names. I think 13 names we went through. Talked about the history of the thing, what we look for, what makes a great Intercontinental Champion. Great listen, 90 minutes. Uh, again, if you're a patron, that is up available now to listen. And uh, I think it turned out pretty well. Great listen. I listened to it on the way home from Chicago yesterday, Kyle. Oh, Myself and Tim Jensen, patron of the show, who went along for the ride. Tim joined me in Chicago, as well as Jesse Velasquez, good friend of the pod. Uh, wrestling unplugged and undeniable he was with us in chicago met up with zach haydorn pro wrestling torch good friend of the pod as well and we're gonna get into all of that before we do kyle i'm gonna get your grade on the show so we didn't do a post show proper like we normally do with all out you did do a fantastic brief review of clash at the castle by the way you guys can check that out in the archives on the podcast feed but as we just, I'm going to talk about the live atmosphere of the show. Again, this is not going to be a full in-depth review. So if you're joining us live right now, we're going to get to Punk and the Elite and all the drama there momentarily. But I did want to cover what it was like being in the building for All Out. Give you the grade. Kyle, before I do, what did you give this show overall, A through F? <laughs> well, I <laughs> I think now you one could say that there probably hasn't been a pay-per-view in the history of this business rendered more irrelevant <laughs> by the real-life aftermath. But if you're just forcing me to grade it as a wrestling show, I'll go C+. Plus. Oh, I think okay. I, I was not nearly as high on it as some other people. I wrote about it on Facebook. I Some of that was tempered enthusiasm going in. But... I don't know. It, we'll see. Time will tell. But I think right now it, it's a testament to the performers. that I don't give the show an app, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. <laughs> because right now AEW is kind of in the mud. So, um, yeah, I don't know. C plus seems fair. I thought it was one of their four weakest pay-per-views they ever did. I mean, that's a high bar, though, too. I think you said that in your mm-hmm. review. I mean, most of their pay-per-views are fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I so I would give this a B plus personally. From the live experience. I haven't watched the whole thing back on the, not the DVR, but the on-demand on VR. But I've watched mm-hmm. some of it back. And, uh, I mean, it was it was a great time as always. It wasn't the best AEW pay-per-view I've been to. I mean, All Out last year definitely tops it. But it was, it was a great card. There was some parts in it where the crowd was definitely taken out of the show a little bit. And I know that that came across on TV as well. Because I saw people in real time talking about it over in our our Facebook discussion group. But uh, I mean, overall it it was a pretty fantastic show from start to finish. I have to say in the ring, at least now, obviously all the drama has overshadowed it since, Um, but there was stuff I really liked. I had a great time. We had a great crew there, as I said. So I'm at B plus our Twitter followers. I, I did put up the poll as I was walking to my car in the now arena parking lot. And I saw that it was, basically split like a third with an a a third with a b a third with a c 
and almost no DRF grades. So people are pretty split between A, B, and C. I would say most of the AEW pay-per-views, we see A, B almost exclusively. So there was definitely more Cs on this one. But yeah, I, I personally came in at the B-plus range. I mean, it was, you know, we talked a lot about going in how many matches were on the show. It's something that we always talk about. But... I do have to say, being there live, it went really fast. It went a lot faster than Double or Nothing this past May in Las Vegas, in person, anyways. Um, and you know, they had some some matches that were very very short on the show too, so that 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 played into all of that and the timing, and it got over earlier than I was expecting. Um, but yeah, I mean, it flew by. It was fun. I I got there right as the pre-show or the zero hour was starting. I think, uh, yeah, JAS versus Ortiz and, and Ruby Soho uh, was like just getting underway. They were fighting through the crowd as I got to my seat. Oh, so, so, and that, so that being Sammy and type. Yeah. yeah. You saw, so you saw Sammy dump Ruby on her head. Yes. Yes. I'll tell you, you talk it. about a guy, you talk about a guy who maybe is getting a little scot free in all this AEW drama of the last couple days. Sammy Guevara. Hmm. God, was something wrong with him that night? I, I went back and watched. Well, I went back and watched how he was working so recklessly. Yeah. I mean, that was really unprofessional, the way he dropped Ruby Soho on her dome, man. Yeah. Talk about needing to apologize. Yes. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, no, it was, the yeah, pre-show was fine. Crowd not as hot for Hook as in the past, but I mean, it's still pretty, pretty pumped to see him. Uh, Pack and your boy Kip Sabian. You know, it was average, I thought. But then uh, the Eddie Kingston Ishii match was freaking awesome. I mean, those chops, I think I put a video on my Twitter page. It was like I could feel them in my seat. It was insane. Uh, And I do think I do have to say related to that, they had the ring mic'd up a little loud. And I don't know if that is why the crowd sounded like more subdued sometimes, because that crowd was on fire for the first half of the show. And then I saw people in the group saying, they didn't seem like they yeah. were into it at times. And I don't know if it was the mix because we all in my section were talking about it. I mean, you could almost hear the people talking in the ring. They must have oh. they had like mics in the corners by where they have the cameras. And it was like they were turned up too loud and everything was like really elevated, not just like when they fell to the mat, but just like the slaps, you know, and the chops, everything in the ring. So I don't I don't know if that played into it or at all. But I mean. It worked during that match because when Ishii and Eddie were chopping each other, man, it was that was a great, great match and a, a good way to close Zero Hour. Yeah, and you know, I had a comment too uh, uh, regarding Hook. You mentioned yeah. that maybe he's not as over as he once was. Uh, when I was watching live, I looked this up. What is it like? Thirteen matches in nine months. I know we yeah, all said take it slow, but that might thing. be uh, that might be a that might be snail's pace more than slow. <laughs> I mean, this guy was really over. I don't think you want yeah. a guy who's really over only working thirteen times in nine months. Ugh. Yeah, and I, a lot of it's pretty much the same thing too. I mean, he's kind of working. I he's, uh, I guess getting somewhat up the card now with with the guys he's working with, but it's it's still pretty low stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, no, I mean the crowd was happy to see him, of course. So, um. Now, Better the, shooter than Bobby Fish. <laughs> Let me just ask you this, because again, we're not going to break down every match. Just some general thoughts. What did you think of the way that the ladder match ended with? We all in the crowd knew it was MJF when it happened, even though he didn't unmask. What, what did you make of that? I gave the ladder match a dud. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought, dud? I, yeah. I really just disliked 
everything about it, to be honest with you. Wow. That surprises me. The crowd loved I, it. It was fun really, live. I've watched yeah. it back on TV, but can't cannot stress how sick of ladder matches I am. I thought the Royal Rumble style you know, casino gimmick was a huge negative. And I don't know, just a bunch of guys running. I mean, I, they paid it off in the end with MJF at the end of the show, but I don't know, just a bunch of dudes running out and grabbing the chip for them. It was mm-hmm. just awkward. And yeah, I, I really hated it, to be honest with you. Yeah, the way it ended with, you know, Stokely Hathaway is not even in the match revealing his face and him getting the what was it the chip that yeah. wasn't great the match itself i thought i mean i agree with you i think that they do this too much and they need to go you know tone that down a little bit but the, i mean the match itself had you know, as you would expect the high spots crowd pop and i mean it was a fun match but creatively i would agree with your criticisms for sure i just i hated like how and the guys were taking their time like i should have been sprinting out and mm-hmm. I think it was Kyle Ryan in the chat pointed out. I was like, isn't there usually suits when they do the casino gimmick? And that wasn't that. It was just a guy would, I don't know. I They, they did this before because wasn't when Adam Page got the number one contender spot last fall. That was a casino style ladder match, right? So this isn't the first. I just, I don't like it really. At all. And I don't like ladder matches at all. I, if I was booking a promotion, I would challenge myself because I like to challenge myself to do no ladder matches for a full calendar year. I would say I don't really like how these are structured and that like there's the delayed entrances because it doesn't make sense that like someone could win the match before everyone. You just know that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, that that I do not like. But um, I mean, it was it was it was a match that the live crowd liked a lot. The ending, there was confusion. I think everyone knew it was MJF. It was cool to hear the Rolling Stones. Yeah. They should have waited till the end to do that for when MJF actually revealed it. Adam so, Paul in the Facebook chat made a great. It's not cheap to play the Rolling Stones. Yeah, and but I, it, I heard some discussion about effect. this mm-hmm. on uh, Observer Radio. I think it was uh, Alvarez. I think maybe said that he was under the impression that that song was going to be Punk's or not Punk's <laughs> MJF's new theme song. But he came out to his old theme song at the end of the show. He only yes. came out to it once. It's not clearly not going to be his new theme song, but yeah. uh, it, it was cool to hear. And, you know, when when he didn't reveal himself, like you could kind of tell body type. It was MJF and just the way he walked. And when that happened, I knew right away he's going to confront Punk at the end of the show for sure. We'll be seeing him again. And, you know, we got that. It was a cool ending. Nobody's talking about it now for other reasons. Nope. <laughs> and, MJF. You know, he- overshadowed in the same way that MJF overshadowed Wardlow back in uh, June, ironically. Yeah, and, you know, there was a lot of chatter on Twitter when the show was going on. Oh, is he going to cash in the chip tonight instead? And I was like, I don't know if it works like that, man. And I'm like, that would be very WWE, so I'm glad that didn't happen. Although Tony Khan probably wishes it happened now at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, kidding. Uh, Yeah, so the Trios Championship match, the Elite, and Hangman and the Dark Order crowd absolutely loved this match. Uh, the Elite got a great pop coming out, as did Hangman. I loved how they played up the history. They're even making a, a nod to what happened at Full Gear, where the Bucks gave the nod you know, to Hangman before he finished off Kenny, and this time they shook their heads at him. That was really good. That's of weird. Course we, what's that? I don't understand it. 
Like, what's the deal? Like, I get it's a callback, but I don't like why do you even understand why they gave the approval last year at full gear, but they're still with Kenny and wrestling Adam Page? Well, I think maybe their plans changed because of everything going on with uh, Adam Cole, perhaps that plays into that a little bit. But I think it'll I think it'll still come around. I like that they made reference that that had happened before. You know, this time they shook their heads. We we still don't know what the payoff there is. And it's an ongoing story, you know, like the way Adam Page watched them celebrate at the end from the ramp as the rest of the Dark Order walked off, kind of leaning into the fact that, you know, that could have been him, but he turned him down. And yet again, he's getting the short end of the stick while the elite celebrates. You know, this guy keeps missing out. I think that's the story of Adam Page, both for real and in and in, and in canon here. At you're an educator, one of the great educators, uh, not just in the Midwest, but quite frankly, the entire country. So you know what it's <laughs> like about grading these students these days, dealing with parents. You're more plugged into that than me. And I've seen, you know, people from Dave Meltzer to John Pollock just rave about the in-ring that this trio's tournament produced. I'm going to give you my take, and I'm going to give it to you right now. Uh, if Tony Khan turned his booking in for this is his homework. I'd hand it right back to him and say, I think you can do better. I was, I was, I was left very underwhelmed by the entire trios tournament, given my expectations for it. Well, I think it was very predictable going in what the final was uh, going to be, but but people are like mad about that, that Omega. And I've seen multiple people on our Facebook group that Omega and the bucks won it. They absolutely should have won it. You want to establish mm-hmm. titles yeah. by putting yeah. it on the like the best possible team. I just think the storytelling that took place in it was just subpar to say the least. I know that people raved about some of the matches on Dynamite. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to be particularly remembered in a couple months, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, I- I've seen better six-mans, certainly in my day. Well, it basically was a two-match two tournament if you're looking for in-ring. I mean, the Elite and Osprey and Aussie Open... And this one were the two best matches by far. I like this one a little bit better than the match with Osprey and Aussie Open, personally. Oh. But they were both really great matches. I it was, came at the very end of the tournament. I was lower on all of them than everybody, pretty much. But would you agree that those were the two best? I, I don't think anything. I don't think anything else even touches those two. What about um, the Aussie Open? Uh, Death Triangle was really good. Yeah, that's true. I still don't think it's at these last two, though. I think these two are easily... I've heard people say this one or that one as the best match of the tournament. And to me, this was the best match, but I've, I've heard other people call the Elite and Nasi Open the best match. But those two, I think, rise above the rest Meltzer because of the personalities of, involved. Mel, What's that? Meltzer, Meltzer had a ball overrated. Well, that's... That's... <laughs> So the crowd was really hot for the ladder match. They were really hot for that one. They definitely cooled down with the Jade-Athena match. And, I mean, we talked about this going in, the crew that I was with. Like, all right, where are you going to take the bathroom breaks during the show? Where, where's it going to be the cool-down spots? And the whole crowd had the same idea. Because right after that last match, it was just a open flood going to the bathrooms. And, you know, Jade came out. This match was not good. It was very formulaic they almost were moving in slow motion you knew jade was going to win she did she didn't look great in the ring in this one and you know it was was the predictable result a lot of people were out of their seats when it happened 
Any thoughts on it? Love the big kick jaded combo at the end. One of the best yeah. one-two finisher combos in the business. And man, the narrative about the women being put in bad positions didn't change after this pay-per-view. They put Jade on after the trios, and then they put the world title four-way on after the acclaimed lost. That was poof. I'll tell you what, if you yeah. want if you want to set the people up to take a piss break during your women's matches, they definitely set the crowd up to take piss breaks. Yeah. So Wardlow and FTR, lethal in the motor city machine guns. This was another one. Like, you know, it really I actually went to the bathroom during this match and I love FTR, but it's just, it wasn't great use of FTR on this show, obviously. And you know, motor seated machine guns. Yeah. They've been a great tag team for a long time, but I wasn't like particularly enthused to watch this one. I saw the ending in the last few minutes. Of course, you know, they did the stuff with, and in the entrances too, when Dax's daughter came out, that was cool. I did see that. And then getting her involved at the end and what she did with Sanjay and pinning, pinning him. All right. Nice moment. Good family moment, especially if you know the backstory with her health struggles and everything. So I was totally fine with that, but it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't a must see match, which sucks with FTR being one of the probably, yeah, for sure. The best tag team in the world right now. It was just kind of, it was just kind of there, you know, and then, they had that, and they followed that up with Powerhouse House Hobbs and Ricky Starks, which was a very quick match. Um, it wasn't really surprised that Hobbs won, but was surprised how quick it went by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I, I don't know if they're going to go to a rematch there because on Rampage, I think they did something with Jericho and Starks. Mm. At least I think it was Rampage. So they might go their separate ways, and they just push Hobbs because they don't want to beat him. Because, I, I mean, you know, if you're going to continue the feud, at some point, Starks needs to get his revenge. And you just did the thing with Punk getting beat quick and getting his revenge, so you don't want to duplicate that story. I think they just may go their separate ways. Yeah. Hopefully Jericho puts over Starks is all I got to say about that. Oh, God, no kidding. We'll get to that. We'll get to the Jericho's match here in just a second. Uh, yeah, one of them I thought we'd probably spend the most time talking about was the tag team title match. And... We did our prediction show. You know, I assumed the acclaimed would win. A lot of people thought the acclaimed would win. We have been talking up this tag team on this podcast for well over a year and have said numerous times on the show that it's going to be fantastic if they can get the tag team title belts on them. For a long time, we didn't really see like a roadmap to that actually happening, given the other teams that had the belts. And then we saw FTR kind of hanging there on the horizon. But the way it's played out was swerving our glory. And then the acclaimed were definitely just shoehorned into this match for sure. But when it was announced, I figured, I mean, there are very few acts in this company on the level of the acclaimed when it comes to crowd responses right now. Kyle, you've said it on the pod before. I mean, sometimes it reminds you of the new age outlaws at their height when it comes to the crowd yelling back at them. It's it's an excellent act that is undervalued in today's wrestling climate. And mm-hmm. I say undervalued because they always, always get a reaction from those in the building. And there was absolutely a noticeable uptick in the crowd when they came out for the rap. Because that's what the people like. They want to hear Max Caster rap. Yep. Yeah, this woke the crowd back up for sure during that entrance. The minute that opening of the theme comes on and he starts saying, yo, I mean, it is instant. And I saw the same thing last November up in Minneapolis during Full Gear Weekend. You know, so it's been... This has been a long time that they have been very, very over with the crowd. And, you know, 
they've been they've been in tag title matches before, right? Like early in their run, I believe. Yeah, but nothing yeah. like where they would seriously actually. No, win. yeah, there were yeah. at no point did anyone believe they would win. No. Yeah. So at this point, when they're at their height, and you figure they got a chance at this thing, this I was not at all surprised by the crowd reaction. I've heard other podcasts mm. say, "Wow." They had to be stunned at how into this match people were. I was not. I've seen these guys multiple times live before, and they're always, always, always one of the most, one of the most over acts on the show. And at this point in the card, I got to tell you, I put this out on Twitter. They were the most over act. They got a louder reaction than the elite got when they came out. For Uh-oh. sure. Don't tell For CM sure. Yeah. <laughs> these guys were over like rover they were so over with this crowd and they were dying to see them win the titles and some of those near falls in this match man the people were going crazy there was one point where i still thought the acclaimed were going to win and they did a really really close near fall and i was like damn it that is right when there is where when they rolled up keith lee well the crowd really thought that they weren't it was the mic drop when it got broken up when that happened Mm -hmm. i definitely could tell sitting at home that you guys in the audience were like, oh, fuck, they're not going to win now. And then, yeah, then you're it, right, they did that near fall. It's like, oh, yeah, they might. And then when that, when they didn't yeah. get them there, when Bowens, Bowens rolled up Lee, I believe. And yes. if that wasn't it, I think the air went out of the building. Yeah. And the, the more near falls they got, then we started to realize it's probably not going to happen. And when they lost, dude, it, this was negative heat. The people started chanting bullshit people throwing their hands up. This was like the moment on the card. I mean, outside of punk, obviously, but the crowd was very split on punk, to be honest with you. So when it comes to title changes, this is the one that the people want to see the most. And when it didn't happen, people were pissed. Like it was a angry response, not a disappointed response, an angry response. I wasn't happy. I mean, I was talking with Jesse and Tim. I was like, I could not believe they didn't go with them here. And I know that they're going to have the rematch at Arthur Ashe and they'll probably win it there. It'll be a bigger audience, a stadium show. You know, it'll be on TBS. But I kind of just believe that if you got a paying crowd and you got people who paid $50 on pay-per-view for this show, I feel like you should do it on the pay-per-view. They'll probably get a good moment again, but nothing's ever guaranteed in this business. And man, they had lightning there in Chicago and I felt like if that wasn't the finish, they should have audible and made it the finish because, man, this was a special, special match. It was as far as crowd responses go, it's up there with some of the most incredible live matches I have ever seen as a wrestling Mm. fan. This crowd was just going nuts for these guys. And so it'll be nice to see them have the tag titles. I do like swerving our glory. I've said it on the pod before. I just think, you know, this is. Obviously, a singles act. Eventually, when they split, it's not a long-term tag team. The Acclaimed can be. They're more of a real, quote, quote, real tag team. And I just want to see the Acclaimed get their moment. I just felt like this was the time to do it. It's on pay-per-view. People paid to see it. It was disappointing, Kyle. And they they lost this crowd after this. I don't think it was burnout. I heard uh, another podcast say, I think the crowd was just burned out. And that's why they tuned out. I did not have that feeling in the building at all. I thought it was they got ambivalent to what they were watching because they were so pissed at that finish. Uh, so I don't know if AEW should have known that the acclaimed were going to be that over, but it's very clear that they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
by Sox them not game. winning. And <laughs> yes. I mean, I did write when the show was going on live in the Facebook thread. I said, dear God, if the acclaimed aren't booked to win this right now, Tony Khan may want to think about calling an audible because I think this crowd's going to get really pissed if they don't win. And that's exactly what happened. Now, on the subject of an audible, because this has been brought up multiple times and in a lot of places on Twitter, that's really hard to do in fairness. Like, let's say Tony Khan is sitting there in the back. He's like, oh, shit. Like, the acclaimed has to win. Like, I've made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And you, like, are Swerve and Lee just gonna be like, okay. <laughs> like, like, are they just going to be like, oh, I'm, okay, yeah, yeah, he's right. Like, I think it's really hard to do. And the three of us, Justin included in the text, that we're going, we're talking earlier today. Is there any ins- known instance of an audible being called? And I really couldn't think of one. I was at the gym pretending to work out at the time, so I didn't put a ton of thought into it, but still nothing comes to mind. I'll share this. I know, at least in this modern age, one time for sure that I know there were murmurs backstage. I think I brought this up on the pod before. And there may very well may have been murmurs backstage uh, at All Out for this. I'm sure there were some smart people being like, shit, we should put the claimed over. But was that Elimination Chamber match for WWE when uh, it was came down to Kofi and Daniel Bryan? What was that, 2019? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I know there were people in the back watching that match live that were kind of mumbling, oh, maybe we should call an audible here and have Kofi win. But he obviously didn't. And I just I just don't know of any known instances of that happening. And I was disappointed too. I was taken out of the show after it, just as you were saying. And I'm sitting on my couch here at home. If the acclaimer is over, as we all think they are, I think they'll be fine winning at Arthur Ashe. Would it have made this show better? Certainly. Of course, it would have been overshadowed anyway. I mean, because who gives a fuck about the show anymore? But, you know, I, I think, and quite frankly, this is a company that needs feel-good moments moving forward. So, you know, again, I've talked about mid-card quote-unquote mid-card matches, getting the main event slot at Dynamite, maybe it will be more. I don't know. We'll see. And yeah. if they don't get a good reaction, maybe they weren't that, maybe they were just weren't that over for one night. I don't know. It was, so it was a negative for the show, as you alluded to, because they mm-hmm. put the women right after this. And as I said, I mean, the crowd was totally out of it and they didn't really care at all during this match. Like, there was so much conversation happening in the crowd about the finish of that last match that I barely remember seeing these women even walk down the aisle, to be honest with you. Mm. And, you know, Tony Storm winning, she's popular. She didn't, I mean, it was like a very lukewarm response. And that's too bad because I feel if they would have done the title change and that crowd celebrated, you know, they probably would have went in the crowd celebrating with the belts and stuff. People would have been so juiced and had so much energy right after that that it would have carried through to this next match. Do you think they just didn't want to do two title changes in a row? Do you think Tony maybe outthought himself in that regard? I don't think, I mean, because it was a, you know, interim. So someone had to win in the next one. I, I don't think so. First off, uh, are you talking about some, the world title later or just, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about, he looks at this card and he's like, well, I don't want to have two new champions crowned in consecutive matches. And okay, maybe, he, so maybe that was okay. his thought process. Uh, there was a tweet during this match that uh, made me laugh. And I immediately 
uh, sent to our good friend Chad Repack, uh, where someone's like, I would do unspeakable things on behalf of Jamie Hayter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was that brought a, a your real, mention, Chad. Yeah, but but that was uh that was funny. Crowd wanted uh, to see Jamie Hader win. Yeah, that, I was gonna, by the way. Yeah, like if there okay. was any crowd reaction to this, it was that they were into Jamie Hader. Do, do you know what is a really, really bad sign for AEW? And it's a result, a direct result of roster bloat. You have so you're trying to push so many people that week to week, you don't know who's gonna be over and who the crowd's gonna go for. Because you're just pushing too many people and giving the crowd too many options. This reminds me of a couple years ago in WWE when they couldn't put their finger on their own audience. I think it's a mistake. Too They've many been dragging people. this Jamie Hader thing on for a long time. They got to go through with it here pretty soon. Well, and, you know, the finish of this match is going to probably accelerate that because Britt cost yeah. her the title, you know, in the eyes of the fan. But <laughs> that was a great. So the crowd did get it. You, you guys did that, react to that, that for sure when Britt yeah. pulled. Um, so I have a question for you and i don't know if it's chicken and the egg here or what with aew audience and the women does the aew audience care less about women's wrestling than the wwe audience or have they been trained to care less about women's wrestling by the way it's positioned i don't think they care less at all i mean i think Britt is one of the biggest stars in the promotion to be honest with you okay but i'm just saying women's matches Oh, like, mm, I don't think so, because they've done some pretty legendary ones. I know they're few, fewer and far between. The roster's smaller. But, you know, they did the blood match. They did the cage match. I don't think the audience is trained to not like women's wrestling. I think that, yeah, there's something to be said for them getting the opportunities. Do I think Thunder Rosa should have cut an eight-minute promo like there was a complaint on social media? No. But I do think that the women's division deserves more television time than they get. But I okay. don't think that that I don't think that that means the audience isn't there for it. I just think it's a problem with how the shows are booked. Okay. What do you think? I don't know. To be honest with you, it's it's an interesting. <laughs> that's why I asked you. Yeah. I, I really I legitimately do not know if the AEW audience carries or cares less. Pardon me uh, about it, or if they've been kind of trained oh, that okay. way. Because you, you, that's not like look at where they were positioned on this card. It's based mm-hmm. like like you made the point earlier. In many ways, they told you take a piss during this match. The way those matches were positioned, and that's probably not fair to the women involved. And the fact that the women got both of those slots, I, I don't know. Or, or like I said, people probably don't want to say this. Maybe the audience, AEW audience, just is, would piss no matter what if it's the women's match. Yeah, I just don't buy that because I just I feel like they have been into the women's division a lot over the years. Some of the more popular acts on the show are women. Britt always gets a great response from the crowd. Jamie Hayter's taken off a little bit here. Tony came in with a lot of momentum, and outside of following that tag title match, she usually gets a really good response from the crowd. I think if they give Tony a, a good run here, she could be really, really good for that women's division, personally. I mean, she's totally different really than a lot of the women that they pushed so far she's been in the e you know the wwe before she has a cool factor to her we'll, we'll see what happens here but i mean jamie hater is that wild card out there right now like what's going to happen with her because she's clearly the up-and-comer we have jade i saw the comment in the chat a little bit ago has jade yes. improved 
I don't think Jade's improved in the ring, man. It's a little concerning. I think she has the star power, obviously. She has an aura about her. She's not that great in the ring, Kyle. I don't think she's got to get better. You don't think it matters? I mean, I think it will come with time. I think she should be the world. I think that's been the big problem with this division in 2022. She should be the women's world champion. I'd actually push back on that. I don't think she's ready. I really don't think she's ready for that right now. Here's the problem. So people, they would say it about like Goldberg. Oh, well, can she go 20? Why would you have Jade Cargill work a 20-minute match? Yeah, you don't have to. to. Yeah. Like it should, it should just be come out, look like a star. And by the way, I had no idea what the hell she was dressed like. My wife had to tell me, I don't, I was joking in the group. I don't think there's five people in America over the age of 40 who know less about comic books than I do. I was like, <laughs> why is she all fucking green, man? What yeah. I'm like, what is going on? She broke and down the wall, Kyle, when she came out. I had no idea what that meant. And, but she just come out, look like a star, dominate, sell a little bit. Big boot, jaded, let's go home. Well, you know, her match with Athena, who is talented, was only four minutes and 20 seconds. And it wasn't good. No problem. Athena got a little offense in. But, it, boy, I tell you, man, it, it looked like she was working in slow motion. And it was very rehearsed. And well, I just, I don't think she's well, ready for that kind of spotlight yet. Unfortunately, she needs to progress a little faster in the ring. I do think that she could be a huge, huge star, just like you do, because of the look and the aura. But the in rings is not quite there yet. Even in we short talked, matches. We, we talked about it in the preview show that stylistically, that may be a bad matchup. The height, the way Athena's going to want to work the match. You know, she's going to want to do a lot of like high flying moves that require Jade to, you know, bump and sell. And that's not really Jade's game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, at least the right person won. Yeah, yeah. Jeff said a champ who can't wrestle is isn't going to help the women's division. I mean, there is something to that too. If you if you want them to take the women's division more seriously, if you think that's a problem, I I, I just don't know if you can have a world champion that destroys people in two minutes every time. But we'll see. I mean, she's got time to improve. But I I was I didn't think she looked great in the ring as far as the in ring work goes. But it it was a little disappointing. I will say. And so was in, you know, so was the crowd response to this match. As you said, Kyle, they were not put in the greatest of circumstances. And then this is what puzzled me because they did what they did in the tag title match. No title change. The women's match, you know, the crowd was kind of out of it. And then they do the Christian cage jungle boy deal where they know that they're not really going to give the fans the match that was promised because Christian's injured. So they had to, you know, work around that with Luchasaurus doing the turn and feeding him to Christian in the 22nd match. But boy, when you look at that card layout, no title change, even though the crowd really wanted it. And then you do this two matches later. And then Jericho right after that beats Brian. Those three of those four results in a row, they had a hard time getting this crowd back into it after that. That was a problem with the layout of the show, I thought. I liked Christian Jungle Boy. The crowd didn't care because it was brief, but again, I don't know. Like to me, like when you had all these matches, I thought it was, and it was late in the show. I thought this was okay. Like I, it was funny again, going back to our previous show, I joked that Starks and Hobbs, Christian jungle boy, if you wanted them to really stand out, they feel like it would be better to be TV main events. 
And then based on how they worked on the pay-per-view, well, it's a good idea that they weren't TV main events because that would not have been good. I don't think you could have done either of those matches as a TV main event. And I, I saw Rick Skelton joke around there. It's like, well, Kyle, I think you actually talked them into setting up uh, TV main events with the pay-per-view matches. Um, and, and this one clearly is where I think Starks and Hobbs could go their separate ways. Uh, this was a deal where um, obviously, you know, they've got to extend things. Christian's hurt. My God, this feud is taking forever. I think Christian, someone said he's done, he had less less than six minutes of ring time this year. Oh, wow. So, um, I don't know. I mean, they don't, not every match has to be long. It's not about just getting match time or a good match. I thought this was a good angle. And when Luchasaurus came out and turned on him, uh, which is what he should have, Jungle Boy, which is what he should have done. And Christian had that shit eating grin on his face. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is amusing. I like this. Yeah, but they did this because Christian's injured. That's the only, you know, I don't think if Christian wasn't injured, they would have had a real match, but their hand was which, forced here. Which I think would have been worse in this instance. <sighs> Perhaps. I mean, they're going, they're going now, they're going to have to do Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. So you've been turning Luchasaurus back and forth now over the it, last They, they never should have, the whole pump fake turn and then doing the turn, it was maybe overkill. Yeah. So the problems with the card then continued because Jericho and Brian, they had a decent match, but the match wasn't the style that would bring the crowd back to life. You know, they worked a very technical, like mat based match and they went almost 25 minutes and the crowd was into it at the end. But like, you know, like when Brian came out and Jericho came out, the crowd got into it. And I, I put out in our Facebook group, the crowd is alive again. And then like two minutes later, I replied under that or not, because like then the crowd was dead again. And so it was just to me, again, it was just a problem with the layout of the show here where all these things happen subsequently in order where there were problems. You know, there wasn't really a big problem with the women's match. It just followed an unfortunate situation. And then it was Christian Jungle Boy is very quick. The crowd's confused as to what happened, why they didn't get the advertised match, really. And then they get this one, and it's not the type of match to, to pop the crowd. And then Jericho wins, which I have no idea why Jericho beat Brian Danielson here, Kyle. I feel like this is something you're going to rant about a little bit. This was probably the worst Brian Danielson match in AEW. And it was absolutely the point in the show where I started getting tired. I started walking around the basement to get the blood flowing. Florida state LSU, quite frankly, was a lot more exciting than this match. And I could not say it any better than our good friend, Rick Skelton said it in his comments today on Facebook. (laughs) Jericho beating Danielson is fucking appalling. Yes. Very much so. I like when the Brits say appalling. I don't know why. It always (laughs) just brings a big smile to my face. I wish I was British. I, if I was British, I would just say appalling all the time. I don't know. It just it seems a little. <laughs> I don't think there's much more to say way. other than it was appalling. I mean, my God, yeah. I don't know why Chris Jericho needed to go over here, but he did. Uh, you know, I guess he he cheated to win with the low blow if he won an out. But I don't give. Such I don't give a shit. An overdone finish. Yeah. Su- such an unfinish in this promotion, and it buried the referee. Yeah. That was a problem. The finish of this match is a problem. I never would have guessed that Jericho would win this because we all want Brian back in that world title picture. Depending on what's going to happen with CM Punk, maybe he will be just by default if they have to do a tournament. We'll see what happens there. We got what? a little bit on that coming up. What do you but, even do with Danielson at this point? God, has he lost too much? I, and, you know, problem. it's funny because we're going to get into, you know, 
alpha behavior and guys want to be on top. And I know that's not his personality at all. Like he's cool with doing whatever. He just wants to have matches. But mm-hmm. Jesus, Brian, refuse the fucking job once or twice. <laughs> you know what else he should have refused, Kyle? That guy who sang him to the ring? Oh, that, that was, hey, God. So apparently <laughs> it, was his, it was his friend. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you who to be friends with, but maybe friend him. Does not fit the aura of Brian Danielson, that song. I'm sorry. It just doesn't fit. I was thinking in my head, Tony, pay Europe whatever they want so that I don't have to see this guy again. God. Oh, I mean, just, I mean, it, it was like a poor man's final machine. Uh, yeah, a poor man's yeah. machine gun Kelly. It was, it was when he came mm. out, I was like, I thought it was machine gun Kelly first. Then he starts singing. I was like, oh my God, this is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't forget about fitting, not fitting Danielson. I don't think it fits anybody that I would root for. No. I don't know if it fits. Never mind. I don't I let's just move on to House of Black, your other favorites, Kyle. I got I got really nothing to say about this match. I mean, the headline was that afterwards Malachi like stood there while they were showing uh, something on the video screen and he like slowly walked up the ramp and then he like blew a kiss at the crowd and bowed. So it looks like he's on his way out. Tony wouldn't comment on it after the show. Uh Darby Sting and Miro get the victory, and I guess. I mean, I don't know what that means for Brody King and Buddy Matthews and poor Julia Hart, who did the slow burn for the turn, and now was the House of Black just over <laughs> because he's out. But here are the like varsity blondes are still hiring. But uh, <laughs> I bet they are. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'll be honest. I didn't. I have not watched this match in full. I was totally into the finish of Florida State LSU during it, and I commented i was like look if people tell me this was really good i'll go back and rewatch it and nobody said that so i haven't rewatched it and as i made very clear on our previous show i don't give a fuck about house of black i'm glad they lost and i don't think losing mal black is a big deal at all for this promotion because he's not in the top eight on either side of the ledger baby face or heel so i mean wwe needs fresh bodies triple h will push them but i mean again triple h guy there you go and, he, and, he, and he, he's a Heyman guy, too. So he mm-hmm. probably thinks he's got a lot of allies there. We shall see. Um, I, I just, lore is, is stupid. It's bad. Yeah, I mean, Taylor checking in the chat, talking about how his gimmick as a semi-MMA ass kicker is great, but he sucked in AEW. And yeah, the problem is, he doesn't want to do that. Like, this is what he wants to do, as Kyle ranted on our last show. Yeah. I, weird stuff. We talked about it on this pod when he came in and like kicked Cody Rhodes' ass, and he yep. was just a badass by himself. He was like a loner character. Mm-hmm. It was great, and I was like, "This is exactly how he should be booked." Now, I will point this out: you know, drubbing Cody Rhodes in like a minute and winning. There's a lot of people who get over doing that, <laughs> right? I mean, that's like a spot where if you don't get over, like you blow basically Mm -hmm. like you're, you're just not good and and maybe should seek another profession, but it worked for him. People accepted it and it was great. But then they just started, you know, like even before the lore, they started putting him in tag team matches like Andrade. Maybe that's what he was comfortable with working with XWB. That would say no sense. He should have never been in a single tag team match ever. Yeah, ever. And you you know, and you talk about Jade earlier. Obviously, you know, Black's a better worker overall, but 
people don't like when he doesn't when it, or people don't like when he has to sell. I remember Meltzer noting that in one of his early takeover matches, and it was a spot on take. And yeah. again, it, you know, I mean, yeah, every, everyone looks sweet when you're just winning real quick. But I mean, if that's what you got, then I don't know. I, I don't think he stands out enough like Jade does in the women's division um, to be an impactful star. I just don't in this promotion. Yeah. I mean, are, are, are you pushing him to the I whole title? Agree. Yeah, TNT I, I titles? No, no, you're not. Yeah, no. All right, main event. I wish and we're gonna, the best for him. We're going to get into the the backstage drama here. So, crowd woke up immediately. Punk's entrance, crowd went crazy. Moxley's entrance, crowd went very crazy. Dude, this mm-hmm. John Moxley man, he is on another level right now. And now, now, given what has happened in the last forty eight hours, it makes you wish that he was still holding the title, but. Going into the show, he had to drop it. It, you know, it made sense for him to drop it. But uh, I mean, from his entrance, where he walked right in front of us and just stood right in front of us, like we were in the second row, the 100 level, and he comes over and he just stops. They had like the hockey wall up still, the wooden wall, and he stopped right there and he like put a leg up on it and just held the belt like right in front of us and stared in our direction. You know, I could even feel like the heat from the spotlights because <laughs> he was just standing there for so long. I thought it was just going to be brief, and he just stood there, as you guys saw on TV, for quite some time. Made his way to the ring, and yeah, I mean, this woke the crowd up. The crowd was hot, and uh, I got to give Punk credit, you know, for the match, because he hadn't worked a match in so long, and, you know, coming off the injury and everything, he looked great out there. Moxley was tremendous as usual. It was a solid, solid main event. Clean pinfall for Punk. Um I don't know if the mixed crowd reaction bothered Punk at all or if that started any of what happened later, but uh, when he got on the microphone afterwards, this was not on pay-per-view, was it, when he got on the mic? No. Okay, he was, I expected kind of like a long promo from him. You know, here he is in his hometown, just won the world title for the second time and everything. Like, he talked longer in Las Vegas after he won the title. And he gets on the mic, and pretty much all he said was, and I tweeted it out, he said, I know these 72-hour shows are a little much sometimes, but it means a lot to a guy like me that you stay. My heart is full. We are Chicago. And that's it. That's all he said. He, you know, I don't know. He bashed the length of the pay-per-views. Yes. Him and, <laughs> and Jim then Ross. He, uh, then he went around the, the crowd and you know shook hands and stuff. We made our way out. And that was about it. But I, I was expecting a lot more from him in the aftermath. So I was kind of wondering if he was a little annoyed that so many people cheered John Moxley. Or he was just in his head writing his next promo. <laughs> he was going to yeah. cut at the presser. I think that Saving was what about his film. The yeah, there you go, Jeff Browning. Uh, this was a very good main event. Again, I think my star rating is going to be a lot lower than you see on in some of the uh, newsletters online. Maybe some of the tastemakers who have blogs as well. So I'm not even going to bother with my star rating. It was three. I'd have it like right around four, probably. Okay. I said, yeah, I said three and a half. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have it higher than that, but yeah, it was, I mean, fun main event. The show closes and we think, wow, you know, they went out on a high note. We're driving back to our hotel. It's me and Tim and Jesse in the car. And then Jesse Velasquez, who I've mentioned earlier, he's seeing the stuff on Twitter about, he's like, oh my God, <laughs> he's like, what is going on in this media scrum? 
And we got up to the hotel and I had brought my Roku so that we could watch the no, Clash of the Castle if we wanted to, like late the first night. <laughs> no road trip is complete without the Roku these days. Yeah, we watched a little of it. But I got it working. I turned on the YouTube channel. We rewound to the start of the punk thing and watched the whole thing through. And we were just like completely speechless. You know, at first it was like, is he working? And then I thought like, boy, it doesn't seem like he's working. When he threw an MJF's name, I thought that part was worked because he doesn't really have any reason to go after When He called MJF a prick. That's his gimmick. So I figured he just he tossed that in. But he associated MJF with the other guys that, you know, he outright went after like the Bucks and of course, Hangman, and boy, just watching Tony react, of course, all the gifts are out there now. It was a bizarre experience because he wasn't even asked about Colt Cabana, who the whole thing, you know, yeah. steamrolled from there, domino effect. He comes in, and he sees Nick Hausman of Wrestling Inc., who is a Chicagoan, and Nick has done a lot of stuff over the years with Cabana and Punk. In fact, I think he tweeted yesterday, he has no problem with Punk. Punk's always been very nice mm-hmm. to him. He did. Um, but Punk saw him and Punk immediately asked him about, you know, him being friends with Colt Cabana and if he was doing improv with him or something like that. And he used that as an excuse to go after and bring up the whole Cabana situation. It was so bizarre for a guy who just won the world title that that's what he wants to talk about. And boy. When that started, you know, like at the beginning, that's where I'm like, dude, this is all real life. I don't know what he's doing. And then when he went after the elite, you kind of wonder if he's working a little bit. But then when he talked, you know, swore about Adam Page and he said empty headed, whatever he said about him and the stuff about the Bucks and being small time in Reseda. Were you watching this live, Kyle? No. So it was late. Obviously. And I was just going to go to bed. And I just looked on, so I was like, yeah, let's see. Look at that one last take of the day, you know? And I saw Trevor Dame tweeting about it. And I was like, excuse me? Yeah. Excuse me? He said, what? CM Punk said, what? And so I'm scrolling. I was like, holy crap. But dude, I mean, at this point, it was after midnight Eastern. And I'm like, dude, I got to get to bed. I got to be up at like six in the morning to work. I'm like, I'll just catch this tomorrow. And that's, and you know, and all hell had broken loose on Twitter by that point, And I was reading stuff. I was like, wow, this got ugly. Like I only knew about the cabana stuff when I fell asleep. I mm-hmm. didn't know that uh, until I woke up, I didn't know he'd gone after the elite as well. And then we found out obviously about the melee uh, that ensued. Yeah. Uh, so that. yeah, I mean, I've, wa- I've I watched it in full the next morning and uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was quite the piece of business. Not uh, probably not something that the world champion should do. Or anybody was, should do in front of the camera. These media scrums, man, if I'm Tony Khan, I'd get rid of these for the next pay-per-view. People say, oh, what a great way to stay in touch with the media. Okay, let, let me give a recap of the history of AEW media scrums, okay? <laughs> All of them before the one Sunday night were, oh, Tony, it sure is great to be back in Chicago, huh? You must really love coming here, huh? Yeah, it's really awesome. How do you feel, Tony? It, like, just this bullshit softball stuff. That like doesn't improve the discussion at all. And then we had the last one, which was <laughs> your new world champion fucking torpedoing the promotion. Other than that, I think they've been great. <laughs> well, you know, Tony's out there like he's playing the Dana White role. So he's there to kind of filter the questions and stuff. But he wasn't <laughs> assertive enough to jump in here. And, you know, you let Punk go. 
and he yeah. in, he insulted wrestling journalists, you know, talking about the stories that he was behind uh, Cabana getting demoted or maybe Cabana not having a job. That's not what ended up happening. And he accused the Bucks of, you know, feeding that story or the elite feeding that story to the media, which is not true because I, I, know, I know I've seen Sap say that he didn't get that info from the Bucks. Uh, Alvarez said and Dave, they didn't get that info from the Bucks, you know, so. I don't know, but that's what he believes. And so that's why he went after the wrestling media. And that's why he ranted on Cabana because he's I have no responsibility for his fortunes falling since he arrived in AEW and went into the whole lawsuit situation and Cabana's mom and all of that. I mean, okay. bizarre. So, do you think he was just pot shotting him, making it sound like, oh, this guy's a loser. He has a bank account with his mom. Or I saw somebody bring up the point because it was like something with discovery. Somebody raised points like was cabana like hiding money that he had in a different bank account while taking money from punk it could be something that i don't i don't know enough i don't i have no idea i'm just saying i i I read something on twitter and i thought it was interesting and i decided to share it it was a reputable account i can't remember who it was at this point yeah i think it was it was phil schneider it was absolutely phil schneider that brought that point up yeah well we know what happened afterwards and i gotta tell you too it was so bizarre. Like to people who don't know the backstory, they would probably laugh through this because I actually showed my wife some of this because she's familiar with punk. When we started dating, like I was watching a lot that was around the pipe bomb era and she liked watching him on TV. She liked punk and thought he was kind of a cool character and stuff. And when she watched it, she's like, what is he doing? And like the way he was swearing and the way he was eating the uh, cupcake and everything, it was just a bizarre scene, man. He was not in the right frame of mind. And then when he leaves, the podium and he goes backstage and tony stays out there for the duration of you know the entire scrum tony didn't see any of the brawl happen right so Mm -hmm. when they're backstage there's different accounts of what happened you can't be surprised that he would get confronted right so like he goes into his locker room no no i mean the the idea that punk would be shocked that he'd be confronted after what he said is nonsense of course they were gonna come something's gonna happen right um boy there's so much to get into so there's two different sides to this story that have since come out and stuff but i will tell you that i was told that the heat on punk right now from most of the locker room is quote nuclear that punk is not well liked right now. He, of course, he has some people that are defending him. He does have friends there, but overwhelmingly, most people are very negative on him coming out of what happened next and what happened in during the press conference. I mean, that's what I was told. So he's in his locker room. The Bucks and Kenny Omega come to confront him. We don't know like how they barged in. There's a story from the punk side that they were banging on the door and that they almost like kicked the door down to get in there with punk. Uh, so Ace steals in there, his wife who's in there with a broken foot. I believe she's like, she's on crutches. She's in there. There's this confrontation. And apparently, you know, the reason Ace steel went so ballistic is because his wife was in there and she's injured. And, you know, <laughs> this is not disputed. This happened. He throws some chairs. He hits Nick Jackson in the face with a chair he bites Kenny Omega. Apparently, Kenny Omega was fairly calm at the beginning, but ends up getting involved in it and getting bit by Ace Steel. Uh, Punk reportedly punched Matt Jackson a few times. 
And the brawl, like, it wasn't very quick. It lasted several minutes as they were screaming at one another. Well, it is AEW, so of course it's going to go on for a long time. (laughs) Great line. There you go. Eventually, um, people come in, like, Brandon Cutler was there trying to separate them. Uh, Pat Buck was there. Christopher Daniels was there. You know, all these people trying to get it settled down. There were security guards that eventually came in. Not police officers, but security guards that eventually came in. And you know, Jericho talked with, he was part of the scrum later on, and you can see him whisper to Tony that something happened backstage. So the things that are not disputed is that Nick Jackson got hit with a chair in the face, that uh, Kenny Omega got bit, that Punk threw, threw down with Matt Jackson. We don't know for sure who took the first shot. Like that is not, that has not been officially reported. You know, it's still disputed. There was a lot of people that witnessed this because it went on for a while. And I do know, you know, AEW has been doing their own internal investigation, you know, interviewing, talking to people that saw it, try to get the whole story of what, what went down, who hopefully, is responsible when it comes to that goes it. further than the WWF's internal investigation about <laughs> stare about the sexual harassment scandal, 1992, which I believe they're still looking or they haven't started looking 30 Maybe years they- later. Maybe they can uh, bring in Mark Calloway and he can hold wrestler court, Kyle. <laughs> Face as well. Um, there is definitely. How did his TED sides. talk go over the weekend, by the way? I, I didn't see any recap about that. There is no there's no doubt about that. There is blame on both sides of this yes. conflict. I just want to say that like nobody is solely responsible for this. You know, should this all goes back to Hank Man? Well, the of course, the situation that we talked about with Cabana, but then I think it was the go home dynamite before double or nothing when there was this face to face promo with Hangman and Punk. And I watched it again last night where Hangman alludes to the fact that Punk says he's all about workers rights, but his entire time in AEW shows otherwise. And that was an under the table reference that he was screwing over Colt Cabana. But unless you are really deep in the weeds in pro wrestling, there is no way you would know that that's what he was talking about. There is no way. But of course, you can understand how Punk would not like that because that was not approved. And he got pissed. And immediately after this, he gets injured a week later and he's gone. So when he came back and he took the shot at Hangman, that was his receipt. But they're not real. Those situations are not really equals, Kyle. Oh, yeah. I mean, because like he, he well, threw Hangman directly is- under the bus. Like it was, yeah. it was clear what happened when he called out Hangman, knowing Hangman wasn't going to come to the ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like okay. that makes him look bad to the crowd. But well, whereas, you know, you're the right, other whereas, promo, nobody really knows what he's no, talking nobody about. Nobody talked about part. that. I mean, it, yeah. it was a dead issue. Nobody was like saying, "Oh, it's like, ooh, I wonder if Punk." Like when Punk came back from the injury, no one's like, "Ooh, I wonder if he's going to, you know, get that receipt back on Hangman after that line Hangman gave him on the Double or Nothing show." Go home for double. no one said that. Right. No, no, so, like, it, it was a, yeah, it was, I mean, I if he was know, angered man. in the ring. Let me just say it didn't, it didn't really show on his face when Hangman said it. He held it in pretty well. I, but to be fair to him, you can understand why it would piss him off. I'm just saying that the two situations aren't quite equal given like what the audience would think at the time. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, well, I wanted to jump into my little soliloquy here. I have on the notes. Okay. Real quick. I just want to say, cause I saw the question in the chat. Is Punk injured? Yes, but he got injured in the match with Moxley. So he looks like there's something wrong with his tricep. There was some debate afterwards that this had to do 
with the brawl. But if you watch the presser, you can see, I think he has ice on his arm. So that actually happened in the match. But yes, he does have an injury. It is true. Boy. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, so, you know, I've heard so many different things about this today. If you want to know the update on like where things stand before I let you rant here, Kyle, about what you, you have on your agenda, I'll just say that I was told this afternoon by three different people who would know things that Punk was out, that Steel was out, and that the Elite were going to be suspended. I was told that by three different people, and I assumed at that time he's out. Now, at least one of those three people has kind of walked it back to me and said he thinks they might be able to work it out now. And I think that the longer this story is going on and you Mm -hmm. don't hear anything about it, the better that chance is. Because when it comes down to it, AEW is getting a ton of attention from the story. It's not a work. It's real. Like, there's probably going to be lawsuits from what happened, by the way. That's a whole different discussion. But if they can get these guys to work together... They can make money off of this. And that's what wrestling is all about. Now, can they get them to work together? Right now, it does not look like it. But that's what they're trying. I mean, they're trying to get these people to coexist. At mm-hmm. the very least, just people are work get together suspended. in the same company. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. At the very least, people are going to get suspended. But I will say, like, again, I was told Punk was out by three different people. And now people are kind of walking that back with one person even telling me that he thinks that they're going to be able to work something out. We'll see. I mean, this might drop and then he gets publicly fired tomorrow. I don't know for sure, but they're still working <laughs> on it, which is why this is why like so many. We're live, me, pal. I'm guessing people heard exactly what I heard this afternoon because so many people were alluding to something big coming, as you've all seen on social yeah. media today. And this was around the time where it was getting out that Punk was going to get fired. And now tonight, like there's been a little backtracking on that. I've heard it myself, but we don't we still don't know for sure. But the feeling among the AEW locker room is that if Punk is going to work there, and I used the term nuclear heat earlier that one person said to me who's there, who's in the locker room, then he's going to have to like publicly apologize to the locker room. Like The feeling is that if Punk doesn't come out and apologize to the locker room and make things right, he can't work there anymore. So if there is an ultimatum, that's probably what's going down. It's like he has to go in front of the locker room, make this right, or he's going to get fired. But the longer this goes on and you don't hear anything, you know, they're still working towards making this right, you know, and, and we'll see because certainly AEW doesn't want to have a world champion that they just crowned. They now have to take the belt away from again. A second time. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, so 530 Eastern, I saw the stuff too. Big news. I was like, oh shit, he's fired. They're going to fire punk. And then we started talking. I was like, oh, my God. All right. And, like, I'm taking the kids to freaking grill and chill. I got the kids tonight. I'm like, great. Biggest story of the year. I'm playing dad here. I got one kid covered in chocolate milk because she's, like, going with the straw. I got a baby who's not drinking her milk. And I'm sitting there scrolling and refreshing on Twitter. You know, freaking eating a blizzard like a freaking idiot. <laughs> oh, I'm jealous what a, now. That's what a, a that scene. last part sounds pretty good. What a scene that it must have been for, for those, uh, you know, sitting around. But look, Punk does have to apologize. I mean, everyone's got to apologize. And and I'll get it. And I'm not behind the scenes, so I don't know what's going to go on. I'm going to talk about what I do know, what I think I know to be true here in a moment. Uh, And these aren't behind the scenes details of the fight. I think it's just big picture things at AEW. But 
you can't bury the promotion or the, at least the first two years of its existence and then go backstage and hit somebody, even if you're confronted. I mean, you know, I don't know if you're, you can say this or whatever, but I mean, you know, there's the old unsafe work environment, right? Remember like when Shawn Michaels claimed that and what a fucking eye rolling thing that was in 97 when like Brett pulled his hair out. But like, I mean, they worked it out two months later, they're at SummerSlam in the ring together, right? Yeah, but yeah, yeah, what happened three months later? But uh, (laughs) poor Brett was out on his keister. But But, they they were able to work a match after they had a real life fight. Yeah. And it drew their biggest number of 97, I believe. Yeah, Survivor Uh, Series. But but this is the part I don't know. I mean, there's, here's a big difference there's women backstage now i mean i don't know am i allowed to like i mean are they like do they feel unsafe and do men feel unsafe for that matter i mean you really can't have this and obviously there's got to be a lot of apologizing for both i wasn't back there i don't know who started the melee so we don't know who's in fault i'm just going to trust the reporting on that but i want to go into what i believe are truths and you, Ryan Drosty, please react where you see fit or if you disagree with one of these things, okay? All right. I've got, I've got nine of them. I've got nine of them, okay? This is pertains, obviously, to what it seems right now, like a fractured... Re- well, it doesn't seem. It is a fractured relationship between Punk and the Elite and possibly permanently fractured, okay? Number one, AEW would not exist if not for the Elite. This includes Omega, the Bucks, Cody, and Adam Page. Yes, not the, he could not the, dispute the, that. The, the promote the, the, when the promotion started, that was the backbone, right? Correct. That Correct. was who Tony Khan was, and he had obviously you know Jericho and Mox too. But this is if those people didn't exist, the promotion would not have existed. Two, over its first two years, the promotion AEW showed solid growth, and the elite Cody included deserve much of that credit. Yep. Okay. Number three. CM Punk's debut match or debut and first match from a business perspective is the biggest thing AEW has ever done. Yes. And it was also a tipping point for many people to start paying attention to AEW. Their audience got bigger after that, right? 100%. Yeah. Okay. Number four. Number three probably rubbed the elite the wrong way. Yeah. I mean, Punk comes in and they do the best buy rate they've ever done. Yeah, for sure. And P- and it's no longer their promotion anymore. Their meaning the elite. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's no, no doubt a bigger star in the promotion now. Okay. Like, yeah. So so that and you can see how it would rub the wrong way. If even if you don't like the elite or whatever, I mean it's it's just natural. If you're an elite fan, if you're not, I think it's just very natural. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number five, and this one might be inside base, a little too inside baseball, and this is the one I definitely want to hear your response to the most. Okay. Jim Cornette speaks to the kind of fan that AEW picked up last fall. Him only putting over Punk, Danielson, FTR, etc., and basically saying the first two years of AEW are shit and the Elite are shit, rubbed the Elite the wrong way. Even more. Really rubbed the Elite the wrong way. And the fact that it was never condemned by Punk, FTR, and the like was actually a problem. So are you saying Jim Cornette himself? Like that they're bothered that Jim Cornette would put over those guys and not them? Jim Cornette has a voice and it spoke to a it spoke to an audience that AEW picked up post-punk debut. And basically 
Cornette was telling this audience, oh, these guys that they bring, you know, these guys are great. Oh, but that elite, they're shit. And they're, mm-hmm. you know, what what is he like? The, he calls them, what is he called? The trampoline game, whatever his fucking nicknames are for him. And, yeah. and it's out there, man. Like people talk about what Jim Cornette says on his show. And mm-hmm. if I was Tony Khan, I would have actually forced CM Punk and FTR to publicly condemn those comments, even if they didn't want to. I, I would have mm-hmm. said, I would have made CM Punk go on a podcast and say, you know, I hear what Jim Cornette's saying, and I think he's wrong about the elite. I think the elite are tremendous. Whether Punk believes the elite are tremendous, whether he wanted to condemn, I would have forced them to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I can definitely see where you're coming from there. I don't know I mean, that it, Jim Cornette holds that much power in their minds. Like, I know they have commented on him before, and I, I, I think... I think the Bucks and Kenny are probably past Jim Cornette. Don't really give a shit what he thinks. Okay, but do you to, to number three and number four about Punk's popularity? It yeah. seemed that Punk's popularity was there, and then like all of a sudden, you started to get uh, more divisiveness towards the elite. You started hearing, you know, and we got a little bit of it on the Facebook page. Oh, you know, Kenny Omega, you know, he quit wrestling school. And oh, you know, mm-hmm. it, you started to hear from a new group of fans, maybe that AEW picked up. Oh, I fucking don't like that, the elite. And it was being reinforced, I think, by certain messaging in the wrestling media. And that definitely started really pissing the elite off, I think. Yeah, I think the general idea of what you're saying, even beyond Cornette, just that general okay. perception I, I, is I for sure. I think that's true. I think that's true. I can definitely see that because I, you're introducing a new, you used the term alpha male earlier. You're introducing a new alpha who legitimately is a bigger star than them. You know, yeah. they might have, Jericho's a big star too, but you know, but, like. He's late in his career. Yeah, exactly. So I don't see them having like that same, that I don't, I don't feel like that animosity would be created there. Whereas Punk, he's been a, he's been gone for so long. He's a massive star. You're right. He does bring a different kind of perception about the business in. He's there with FTR. We know that they've been pretty tight. Different work styles. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see where you're coming from there. I, that there's some clashing going on, which is the better way to pick up a larger audience. Mm-hmm. You know, and that and, being talked about backstage. Yeah, and I guess me specifically referencing Cornette was to put a face yeah, on the talking I see what you point. Mean. Yeah. And, and Jim Cornette is certainly, I think, the most prominent face of that talking point. Like when you think about someone, if if you hear, oh, you know, the elite sucks, like who's the first person in the wrestling media you think of? Yeah, it's Cornette. Jim Cornette. Okay. Yeah. All right. Six, number six talking point. Coming out of All Out last year, so All Out 2021, I was sitting next to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, AEW had a tremendous looking roster with plenty of top guys, all of whom were over. Punk, Danielson, the Elite, now with Adam Cole, Jericho, Moxley, the Four Pillars, not to mention guys waiting to break out like Hobbs, Starks, the Acclaimed. I even still have a fondness for Anthony Agogo for some bizarre reason, and he's someone they should go back to pushing. A ridiculously strong tag division, a need to build up the women's division, right? Like, I think we specifically mentioned this on our review of All Out 2021, like, holy God, is this roster ready to rip, man? Yeah. Correct? Okay. Yeah. Number seven. That is a ton of masters to serve right there. And thus, Tony Khan made a terrible mistake bloating the roster and trying to push so many new people at once when he already had enough people to push. 
Yes, that is. Yeah, I think. Okay, I don't think you can dispute that. I mean, that that is convoluted. Yeah, that that is something that I am really, really feeling strongly about. And people aren't going to want to hear this, particularly people who are big fans of AEW. But WWE in 2022 has taught me that a streamlined roster is better. And again, the people who pay tickets to go to the arenas, they just want to see their favorites. And AEW had a strong core of favorites that people would see. And they did not need, like, the amount of people Tony Khan brought in post-Punk, post-Danielson, early 2022, that's what you do when, like, no one is over in your promotion and you need to shake it up. Mm-hmm. But my God, everyone was already over in the promotion. And I'm not saying these people are terrible, but there was just no room for them to get pushed, these new people. I mean, if you wanted to bring them in just to feed your existing guys that were over, that's one thing. But you just can't keep, I mean, you cannot push 20 male singles wrestlers simultaneously in the same promotion. It's never been done. It's never been done. All right. Now to the fighting that we saw Sunday night. Eight. Okay. I thought you me and you. Okay. No, 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 no. (laughs) I thought this was going to get heated here. No, no. Eight. AEW almost certainly needs both Punk and the Elite to compete and be a viable second national promotion. I think Punk does a lot for him. I mean, they still got Brian Danielson. Obviously, they still got Adam Cole, who is known to the WWE audience when you're trying to pick off some of those guys. They certainly can't lose both of them. No. And I think this is where the, you know, the decision if they if it is, you can only go with one side because they just cannot get along. You have to go with the elite because there's more guys and they got more future ahead of them. But I agree with you. Like if they are going to ascend more, Punk does a lot of good for them. But still. like certainly, I mean, if you're the booker or you're the owner, you want both of these like the elite. I mean, to oh yeah, to to group them into one act is unfair because they're not one act. I mean, Adam Page is on his own, but like you want all of those people under your umbrella. Yeah, absolutely. Like like that's just strong, and I think that's where you know I I would just like there's some people who you know are taking sides in this issue to me i'm like dude i want all these people in my promotion and Mm -hmm. a week ago i would have said the elite and i probably would have said this a year ago too if i was tony khan i would have said it to them short term you may need to accept a secondary role behind cm punk because this guy sold up the united center we're getting a ton of pub from it all the reaction, and we just did our biggest number, and it's because of him. And you guys are going to be around longer. You're fucking EVPs. At the end of Punk's run, we'll make sure like he puts you over or something, but you're going to have to accept in the short term CM Punk is going to get pushed ahead of you. The, the, I, I mean, think, like, I think in, in general, there needs to be more honesty backstage. I think that that's one of the biggest problems is nobody really knows who is where on the pantheon you know of the of the card there's so much struggling going on and there's so much you know like you mentioned they're cramming so many guys out of these shows or not getting out on the shows at all yeah i think i think he needs to be upfront with people about what the direction is and where you're going to be and maybe the elite wouldn't want to hear that but for the time being yeah, they did need to run with punk in the short term at least I mean, Mm -hmm. those guys have had the spotlight. Kenny was a champion for a long, long time. They're going to get back to that. They're younger, as you said. I do think if they got rid of Punk, 
they'd mostly be fine. They're going to lose some people. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, if they need to get rid of somebody, Tony needs to read the tea leaves of the locker room. Because, you know, if it's between keeping CM Punk or having a locker room mutiny on your hands, you have to get rid of CM Punk. Yes. If he's just not, I mean, if if the entire locker room has just turned, like, I mean, not just the elite, I'm talking your Jerichos, your Moxleys, you, you know, other people high in the food chain. If like the public, if Punk is on an island and no one wants him there and no one wants to work with him, then he's got to go, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I, I, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I, it was a week ago. I certainly would have been saying that to the. It was actually a year more than not just a week. It was a year ago. I would have told that to the when this first started, which is going to bring me about my last my last truth, Ryan. Number nine. A great deal of this is Tony Khan's fault, as I think one through eight on my list are things he should have seen coming, and we've heard rumblings of this backstage drama brewing for a long time. So he's been around it. And when CM Punk came in last fall, there were a lot of tough booking decisions made. And that is a different podcast for a different day as we hit the 80-minute mark here tonight. Okay? But Punk came right in as they were trying to crown Adam Page. And I've talked about a lot in the last couple months about second-guessing that decision. Maybe they should have just gone to Punk. Maybe they should have gone to Daniel. They should have gone just a different way with the world title. Okay? But Tony Khan as the owner and booker of this company, needed to see all of his pieces and all those masters that needed to be served, not just Punk and the Elite, the Moxleys, the Jerichos, yada, 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 right? And say, Mm -hmm. okay, how am I keeping all of these egos happy for the next year? What am I going to give them to keep them all happy? Because I need all of these people happy. I don't, you know, WWE refugees don't need to be kept happy. They should be happy to, no offense, they should be happy to get picked up at all if they're getting cut from the other side. But my core, the people I'm building my promotion need to be kept happy. And I honestly, the way Tony booked, it just felt like he was trying to keep everyone happy in the short term and give everyone like a turn. But it wasn't like an authoritative, here's the long-term vision. You all need to fucking buy into this. This is the way we're doing it. Tell me if you've got a problem now. And we can address it, but this is goddamn the way we're going to do it. And I don't want any bullshit and people undermining each other. And that just didn't happen, it seems. And, you know, people are just, it, it's shoot week every week now in AEW. So I, I think Tony Khan deserves a lot of criticism as a relatively young promoter and booker and someone who, you know, I mean, I'd much rather hang out with Tony Khan than Vince McMahon, but I, I just don't think Tony Khan is, is, the same sort of authoritative figure that Vince McMahon is. There's going to be a lot of people who say, oh, Vince was doing this. It wouldn't happen. Now, of course, they're ignoring the fact that Brett and Sean happened under Vince's watch. <laughs> but <laughs> <Yeah>. he, <laughs> um, well, there's always you know, been dislike at wrestling locker rooms. You're going to have that anywhere. Sure. That. Every pro well, sports team as well. But you have to be able to manage the conflict. So I think what you're you're seeing is inexperience out of him. I agree. He deserves blame here. I think another problem with this that hasn't been mentioned is having wrestlers in EVP roles is a problem. And for someone like Punk, I mean, I I can see why it would, you know, he is a guy who's been around the business for a long time and he's working for what he called kids, you know, and 
when those guys are your bosses, you know, depending on your mindset, I could see how that would bother him. Other people, it's not going to bother him at all. But I think there is probably something that's inherently problematic about having wrestlers who are still on the show as active competitors as EVPs. And, you know, we see a lot of disingenuous uh, arguments about these guys about, oh, of course they won the trios titles, you know, they're the EVPs, but let's be real. Like the Bucks and Kenny Omega have been more than generous over the history of this, this promotion. We talked about it the first year of the promotion. Like, what are these guys doing? They're losing all the time. Yeah. Meltzer like was apoplectic. Yeah, Remember when very young... conscious about the fact that they didn't want to put themselves over too much. They have been generous putting guys over. Yeah, go. Yeah, Meltzer was like apoplectic that the Bucks put private party over on one of the first dynamites. Yeah. And in retrospect, why did they? And remember the big Kenny Omega, Allen five angels debate of the summer of 2020 or whatever that was. Mm, and everyone's like, oh, and, not, he like, everyone was pissed that Omega sold a bunch in a match for Allen five angels. Oh yeah. yeah Meltzer right. came. Yep. He's like, Rick Flair used to do that all the time. Well, there's a lot of egg on faces that, cause where's Allen five angels now? Yeah. He's not going to be a dynamite on Wednesday. I'll tell you that. So, you know, I mean, they, they were all, you're right. They were pretty generous, I think, in retrospect. Um, as far as them not being in that role, I don't know if this is a fair comment to make, but I'll make it anyway. The problem is when their creative is not good, and I'm going to be pretty blunt with you. I can tell when the creative is coming from them, Omega and the Bucks, and it's not good. I actually think a lot of the trios tournament failures and shortcomings is on Omega and the Bucks and their storytelling. I think the fact that Omega's returned at a very piss poor rating compared to what it should have done was the fact that they were doing all this goofy build just on BTE, which is watched by 20% of their audience. Mm-hmm. And the whole t-shirt thing and working his way back slowly from injury, that was a fucking bomb. That bomb. He just completely ignored it at the pay-per-view because people didn't like it. Yeah. Like, why is he wearing this goofy fucking Under Armour t-shirt? We thought he was cleared. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. it's uh, no, I think those, I think there are a lot of good points. And yeah, we've we've talked on the show before about when Tony took the book for the most part in early 2020, the show turned around creatively a lot. But this is a guy who is doing a lot and he's got to be hitting burnout and he needs help. And yeah. having active wrestlers involved in creative has not usually been a great thing over the history of the business. No, I mean. He needs to hire a booker. He yes. he absolutely needs to hire an independent, authoritative booker who's not going to take shit from anybody and say, God, you know, but the book now, you can't like be, you know, I, I, I joked with, I can't remember if it was Chad or maybe it was Liam or somebody. I said, you know, this whole situation, you know, this is clearly not something that's going to be fixed by, you know, a, a Bill Watts gif with a hook em up or something like that. You know, I, I don't think it's going to be like, well, let the boys just fight again and see who's tougher. Yeah. Um, that's not, but you need somebody who's authoritative, but can also massage the egos, convince everybody you're going in the direction. Because remember WWE, and this is going to bring me to my final point. I'm really interested to see what you say. I think there actually is an obvious answer to this when I thought about it, but WWE really got going once they freed themselves from the Brett and Sean drama, no matter whose side you took in that issue. And Sean was a fucking ass, was being the fucking asshole, obviously. But mm-hmm. once Brett was out of there and then Sean was out of there, you did get a largely harmonious 
locker room where everyone was very focused and looking forward and the hierarchy was established. Austin was clearly the top guy. And then you had people trying to get the spots underneath him. So my question to you is, regardless of who you think is Brett, who you think is Sean, who's right, who's wrong in this situation between Punk and the Elite, who could be AEW Stone Cold Steve Austin, the guy that passes by the two warring sides like Austin did in 97 when Brett and Sean were working themselves into a shoot? Like if you're oh, Tony Khan, be, who do you build? Who do you has build to be around? MJF, right? Yes, that's the, that, that was the name who came to mind. At first, I was like, God, yeah. I don't know if they have one. And I was like, oh, fuck, how about the guy who just came back and has been forgotten about five minutes later? And ironically, that is one of the reasons why you want Punk around. So this was mentioned by Jesse. He said, uh, no one's talking about MJF or Wardlow, the two guys who look like the Rock is with them. The backstage shenanigans have overshadowed the stories in the ring, end quote. You want Punk there to put over MJF because Punk is a legend in the wrestling business. He's a big name for MJF to get the world title. You want the baton passed from CM Punk to him. That will do a lot for him when it comes to his career moving forward. If they can make it happen just in the same way that Shawn Michaels passed the torch at WrestleMania with the title yeah. to Steve Austin. And he with needed the, some with, encouragement with the, to do so Yeah, right? with the, with the undertaker choking him. Taping yes. his so this is yeah. not, this is not, Something, you know, these backstage shenanigans, it's certainly not unprecedented if you've no. followed wrestling for a long time. They, yeah, it just Undertaker hasn't been around for a while. It just hasn't yes. been around for a while, I feel. But yeah, I mean, most so locker you saw this Moxley, in most locker rooms. I was just saying, Moxley was mentioned in the chat. Moxley's already a made guy. We're talking about a young guy who can go through. Moxley's our, I mean, he's the man. We all love like Moxley. He's a star. Yeah. I also don't know if, I like Moxley a lot. He's had a phenomenal year. He's probably in the discussion for wrestler of the year, not just probably is in the discussion of wrestler of the year. I just think what I'm thinking long-term, two right, years from yes. now, like I, I, I would prefer to have MJF, who's right now more of an unknown to the general public. Like John Moxley, for better or worse, will always be, oh, that was a guy they got from WWE. Mm-hmm. Whereas M like and Austin, to be fair, they got him from WCW, but I the, the audience was different back then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I think MJF could be right because you can't have this guy Punk winning titles and then having to vacate him the next <laughs> three days later all the time. Becoming the guy he hates the most, Shawn Michaels is a Bret yeah. Hart fan, right? Like, yeah, no, you can't yeah. have that, and you want to have him put over MJF. So if they can make it happen and they can work this thing out, you know, that's optimal. Long term, obviously. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I would say as today has dragged on and nothing official has come out, it shows you that they're working. They're trying to make something happen. They're trying to get these sides to agree to work in the same company together. Because when today started, that was not realistic. It looked like it had to be one side or the other. Would MJF coming out Wednesday and just trashing people make it worse? Or would it be a kind of rally? Would it be a rally? The like, because we're talking about like Austin, or would it be like a rally the fan base around me situation? I don't know if I'd have them call guys out by name, but maybe like a vague reference to like all the bullshit going on in the back mm-hmm. proves the point that I'm the guy that you guys should have strapped the rocket to in the beginning, you know, like that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I'm the guy that should have been getting paid the big bucks like he left saying and all that. I would do that. 
I wouldn't have him get too specific on what's been happening and, and calling out guys by name, though. You don't see me fucking eating muffins and tearing my tricep, <laughs> do you? Why is my face not on those cups? Why don't I get these cupcakes? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be an interesting dynamite. And uh, there'll be a lot breaking probably tomorrow as well. And this, I mean, the situation is ongoing. Hopefully the show is not too out of date in the next 12 hours, Kyle. That's the risk. You're on. When he talks current <laughs> events. It's true. But I mean, God, we want to get on there. I wanted to share with you guys what I had heard over the course of today and, you know, be totally upfront with you on what's happening there. That's the most I can share right now. So if you missed it earlier in the pod, it looked like punk was on his way out as of mid-afternoon today from what three people told me. And as the day went on, his comments got a little softer that maybe they're going to be able to work something out. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But, uh, I mean, it's it's best for the business as a whole to get these guys to get along, to do business together, to have a thriving second promotion so that there's more jobs for everyone in the wrestling industry and they get paid better. That's the end goal here. You know, we don't we don't get too much into the weeds with this WWE versus AEW thing. We don't cheer on sides. We just want good wrestling and good wrestling means two strong national promotions, which means more jobs for the wrestlers, more jobs for anyone that works in the industry as a whole. So, hey, and I'll be and I, yeah, yeah, on that note, I'll be honest. With you, I thought Clash of the Castle was a better show than All Out. I haven't seen the whole thing yet. I've seen a little of it. I, I saw the IC title match. Everyone was talking about that was a fantastic match the idea that that is one of the best matches in company history is ludicrous but it was a good match, said that? Really good match. okay now dave i want a name that. dave said that that's what i was that's what i heard dave unless Meltzer? i'm misquoting him yes dave, that's what dave, i was told that's dave what i was Meltzer? told at all out yes at, of the of the wrestling observer newsletter yes that's what i was told if I'm wrong and I was misquote, someone told that to me. So if he didn't say that, I apologize. But that's what I was told. I, I, I did not get that on the repacker report, which, as you know, is my version of the Finkel report. <laughs> but it One was a fantastic match. One of the best matches in company history. What? That's what you someone know? told me. So. All right. You, all right. God damn you got it. a link I, in the chat. <laughs> all right. God damn it. I was ready to go home, go upstairs. You know, I, I haven't seen Cammy all day and, and, and chat. Now I'm hot. Because this brings up a point. You know what I'm getting a little sick and goddamn tired of, Ryan? Is that I'm like the low man on everything with modern wrestling. It's not fun for me to like consume this stuff when everyone's like, this is one of the all-time greatest stuff. I was like, well, fucker, it was really good. Stop saying it was one of the all-time greatest things you've ever seen. Stop saying that. Have some context. Compare, like, you know, like, I mean, even Clash of the Castle, which I just said is better than All Out, WWE fans, so get off my back. But at the same time, was it as good as SummerSlam 92 was? I don't think it was. Okay, and I, found, I found the link. I found the link. So, yes, I mean, again, all props to Dave Meltzer. We're big fans of Dave Meltzer. I just disagree with this take. Um, there's a video on the F4W YouTube channel, and the title is Gunther and Sheamus Classic at Clash of the Castle. And a minute and 55 seconds in, uh, Dave calls it one of the best main roster matches in WWE history. Can't agree with that. Your face says it all. <laughs> it was the second best match of this year behind Cody and Seth. But, uh, yeah. I gave, it, it, I gave you know, and this was, I gave Gunther four and a quarter stars, man. Back in my day, you give a match four and a quarter stars, you're going to rewatch it a couple times. Uh, you're going to talk to your friends about it. And, it, you know, it's a damn good rating, man. One of the best matches of all time. Yeah, it's 
pretty ludicrous. But it was a really good match, and I agree with you. Four of the quarters about right. It wasn't yeah. even better than Go- freaking Volter and Ilya Dragunov. I mean, I guess that's that, that's not part of his discussion because he's calling it main roster. But yeah. <laughs> you're beside yourself, right? And it's now. not just Dave; it's like everybody who's like just. Do you have no context about this stuff? God, it's so frustrating. I mean, I know I'm like anal about comparing, you know, thing to thing, but mm-hmm. I do that because it gives me proper perspective. Right. Like as soon as I watch, I'm like, give me something like one of the best matches in company history. What the fuck are we doing here? I thought I was being really nice. I gave it four and a quarter stars. I called it the second best made wrestler match of the year. Kyle, I found the clip, and I don't think I can get into copyright trouble on this. So I'm I'm going to play you the clip, and uh, you can react. How's that sound? All this right. is Dave and Brian reacting to uh, Seamus and Guther. You know he asks. says something that's going to set me off, don't you? you just <laughs> I just listen to it in my headphones. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you ready? Ready for this? It sh- you should hear the audio. I'm doing this on the fly, so you guys in the chat, if you don't hear this, I apologize. All right. Here you go. The fans loved it. They loved Sheamus. They went crazy for this match. It was it was one of the best WWE matches in years, actually. Oh, I would say in history. I mean, yeah. as far as I mean, not including NXT. I think there've been better NXT matches, but not and not a ton of those either. But I thought this was one of the better. I mean, to, to me, this year, this one and uh, Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes are the two best main roster matches this year. All right, there you go. Oh, I, that wasn't as bad. I thought he was. I thought he was gonna like say something like, "I don't history. know." History. Like, okay. Well, you know, I, I thought you were gonna say we like thought it was like better than like I don't know something that I really liked or something like that. But he agrees with me that it was about the top two mat, main roster matches oh, yeah, of the year. Yeah. I yeah, just I like that. that. I agree just, with that. I, I just disagree where those matches rank historically. According yes. To Dave. No, I would agree. I'm I'm exactly where you're at on that. I don't think it ranks up there. It's not even like a top 50 match in WWE history to me, but it's it a no. really good match and second best of this year. Yes. I think there is too much of this in the wrestling media of just living in the moment with like no context and like recency bias is a huge problem. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I've, there was, um, if we're getting late in the evening, I don't know. There was a quote. It was it was another Dave quote that I just it, it's something I disagreed with vehemently about match quality in the present day versus the past and yeah, there's people who agree with Dave and and you know there are people who think that you know match quality is that it's all time high now again I've said in the past I think there's way more matches in that three to four star range than there's ever been yeah like way more yeah. we mm-hmm. don't have like those just ass matches like. You know, Kerry Von Erich versus Dino Bravo, God rest their souls at WrestleMania 7. We just don't have that anymore because everyone's tr- like people try back then, like guys were freaking drugged out of their mind and could hardly, like, you know, <laughs> could hardly stand up for three minutes. But I don't know. I, I think in terms of high end matches, I am, I think like high end, like distribution is very even throughout history. I, it is extremely rare that I would give more than five matches four and a half stars in the same year. Mm-hmm. I, I think if there have been more than five four and a half stars, and that's U.S. and Japan combined, I think if you have more than that, that is a fucking outstanding. That's like the 94s, the 97s of the world. 
Um, and you know what? I'll, I'll bring this up now. People forget about it. It's fine. I'll remind them later. In December, in the Facebook group, I already had this planned because I was so fired up about match ratings. I will be going. I'll start at 1990, and we'll do every day a, my match of the year rankings for every year. My top five matches for every year, just to kind of prove a point. Nice. That sounds that good. I, that, Get that in the I Facebook think, group. Yeah. It'll it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, like yeah. you know, like like I, I think you're just going to see that in terms of high end matches, distribution is pretty even throughout history. Yeah, maybe it's maybe a little higher now. I mean, 1990. Now that I reference, yeah, even 1990, I could pull four, five, four and a half star matches easy off the top of my head. Well, Kyle, what I'll say about this is that adults like us, we can disagree with Dave on that point, agree with him where it ranks this year, and still respect the hell out of Dave. You know. We're big fans of Dave no, Meltzer. Yes. Well, I have no problems with Dave Meltzer personally. I just I, disagree with that take, but I think he's the best writer that's covered wrestling in the history of the business. And you know what? Just because of that take, I'm not going to walk in and throw a chair at him, Kyle. I'm not going to bite him. No. No, won't do that at all. No, won't, you know, call him <laughs> a bring child. full circle. I, I, pulled, I pulled his analysis from 1988 today in the Facebook group, speaking of Dave Meltzer. I just... I, when he broke the when he broke the star rating scale for Omega and Okada, I think that's where we where we started going very wrong. Yeah, as a society, really. <laughs> yes, as a society, it just you know so happened to coincide with something else. All right, everybody, <laughs> let's uh, yes, well, let's make this a two and a half power podcast. Let's go down that route now too. No, um, all right, guys, this has been fun. Been episode 268 of Top Rope Nation. We've covered it. I think we've done a good job. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. Subscribe wherever podcasts are found. Subscribe to the YouTube channel so you can jump in here on the chat in the future and join us live. Make sure to hit subscribe and then click that bell so you get a notification every time we go live. We'll be coming at you again real soon. Join the Facebook group and have a good week. Take care.